Hello all, welcome to this episode of Buzzing, a Glasgow-based podcast talking about all things culture and art. I am your host, Natalie Nicolaides. This podcast was brought to you by Hive Curatorial Collective, a collective consisting of five independent curators based between Glasgow and Berlin. Within our projects, Hive works with artists who address issues surrounding ecology and ethics through the medium of exhibitions, installations and publications. The aim of the podcast is to have semi-casual to casual conversations and discussions around contemporary issues, not only within the world of art, but also using artistic work to translate the world around us, ranging from performance to sculpture and film to music. If you like what you hear and you'd like to reach out and chat, please subscribe and follow us on Instagram and find us on Facebook under Hive Curatorial Collective. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Jamie. Hello, Natalie. Hello, hello. Thanks for joining me in this episode. That's all right. Thanks for joining me in my home. Initially, I wanted to talk about the role of cis white men in films I've been seeing recently, most specifically, most recently in the Joker film. You've seen it, yeah? Yeah, I've seen it. I saw it with Lindsay, our friend, Mm -hmm. and we both had a kind of similar reaction of like... (sighs) Um, it's a lot, you know, it kind of, it puts you right in there, which it's, I think is, it's hard to say, oh, I loved that film. I really enjoyed it. I really kind of like want to watch it over and over again because it's hard work, um, but interesting in a lot of ways. It really was. I think what was most prominent for me was the depiction of his mental illness and how, how it just seemed to progressively be getting worse. I think the most significant scene that stood out to me, especially because I went to go see it with Ko, our f- former um, course mate. Both of the people we went to see it with have now had to leave the yeah. country. Yeah, so. visas. But yeah, she. Uh, there's one scene where he is, he, it's really late at night and he's leaning against something in his kitchen and then all of a sudden he starts pulling out all the drawers from the fridge f- freezer and then just sits in it and the phone is ringing. And Ko turned to me and she was like, what is he doing? And I said, well, it's anxiety. That's what you do. And I think that was a specific, just having to explain that really made me feel like, oh, not a lot of people have this. But I thought it was interesting as a whole as a film, mainly because I know how demented the Joker then becomes because I follow the comics. So a lot of people were saying that, oh, he's just promoting white supremacy, when in reality, no, he's just quite literally mad. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting... To choose to do a kind of film that's a character study, Mm. to the extent that that Joker is, Mm -hmm. to choose to do that in the context of the Batman universe and the universe that the Joker has previously been a feature in... Mm -hmm. um, so that whenever someone looks at this character with the knowledge of what he's going to become, they're going to look at this character evolution in the context of where it's going, rather yeah. than just in the context of the moment, in the context of what's caused it. Which is interesting because it seems like, I forget who directed and, and wrote the film, whoever it was, mm-hmm. it seems like they wanted as much as possible to completely ignore that existing context and just look at the character. Yeah. Which is, I think, the way I was engaging with it when I watched it. I wasn't thinking about it as, 
oh, is he going to start wearing the makeup? Or, oh, is he going to... Is there going to be any reference to Batman? Um, how's it going to tie into, like, other um, Joker films we've seen recently? Like, um, I was very much just in it with and for that character of Arthur Dent. Um, which, so to me, to, to bring up the other ways in which the Joker's long-established um, state of mania and, and um, insanity and, and the ways that's inflicted upon the world in large scale in the Batman comics and films that we've seen before. It's possibly confusing to try and bring all that into the discussion because I think the most fair way to look at the film Joker is to look at it as just a character study of this man and to worry about where it's gone and where it will go is is hard is you can argue about that forever and you can argue about what the director's intentions were forever and who he sees this person as forever yeah um but i think it's most interesting to discuss as who is arthur dent to the people that watched it from what was given to them to to, to unpack mm-hmm. um and to me i think the idea of white supremacy and white aggression and male white aggression particularly as it's emphasized over and over again that the people have been criticizing the joker for promoting that or supporting that or painting it in a glorifying light mm-hmm. um i don't think it does to the largest extent and i think that what the film succeeds at doing is it puts you in the shoes of arthur dent the not insane man but the man that's really heavily brought down by all aspects of his life and society around him yeah. And it's only when he starts to slip and lose it that you become further distance from him mm-hmm. because you are shown the illusion of him, for instance, when he's um, he, he del- has a delusion that he's had this affair with this woman yeah. uh, only to find out that it was only ever at a distance and it was in his imagination. When, he, when you think he's had the affair with him, you're really there with him and you're kind of rooting for him in that situation. But as soon as you realise that he hasn't, it's in his mind, you feel you like you've stepped back yeah. Like you've seen the level of him that you can't like you've seen the path that he's going down that you can't go down with him and you start to criticize what he's doing and look for the flaws in his vision of the world. Right. And I think because it because you do take that step back, the film offers you the chance to critique what he's doing and criticize it and say, hang on, this isn't me, this isn't speaking to me anymore. It's it's a commentary on something else that I can witness, but I'm not tied into so I think to say that the film is bringing people along to with this idea of mental illness leading to violence and promoting violence in that way I think is a bit simplified very simplifying of, of what the film is trying to do I don't yeah. know if you'd agree no I do agree that it feels like a lot of people took it out way out of proportion it did literally feel like a character study and I really appreciated the depiction of his deteriorating mental illness but no, I completely agree with you. I just, I did, when the reports started coming out about people being aggressive due to that film, I thought it was just as if people just needed a little bit of a reason to do that. Yeah. Which is kind of where our generation, our society, everything is right now. We just need that trigger. But there'll always be those kinds of triggers, yeah. whether whether it's a film, whether it's something that someone says to someone, these kind of affirmations that people search for in life to Definitely. be able to confirm, yes, the way I see the world is is right. And I think, you know, 
if someone's on that path mm -hmm. with the way that they're thinking and, mm -hmm. and the way that they see asking questions of themselves like should I should I engage with the world in this way or, or should I should I rebel against it should I talk back to someone in this way should I react violently towards someone in this way there's the inner conflicts are going to be happening right up to the point where they do the thing and then afterwards um, and I think that these outside influences like a film that someone's watched mm -hmm. they're small factors in a very complex in a battle in someone's head and I think it's like for every time that that's going to have some kind of influence on someone's thinking and, and someone's actions it's also going to have an influence the other way on someone who's not seen a mental illness depicted in that way before and hadn't, has gained a, some kind of education on on how something can get to that point you know mm -hmm. following a character's experiences in that way can can shed light on how impact things impacting in their life can can lead to that point whether it's family or whether it's um ostracizing society, society ostracizing them or, or people not giving them credit for the things that they think they've seen or, or things that they think they've experienced there's it's just too complex to unless it's unless it's clear-cut huge correlation in one direction evidence and and agreement over how much impact something's having in, in some way then it's it's a detriment to the chance for discussion i think that's, yeah. that a firm can bring to just spend all your time and all your energy condemning it for something that it's only very loosely could ever be loosely attributed to yeah and also very personal it wasn't supposed to i don't feel like it was meant to spark the masses it just it was just wanted mm. to tell a story no and i mean i'm actually intrigued when i i brought and I just mentioned the idea of what we we don't know what the director's intentions were in terms of what they wanted to say it's an interesting thing because like i said choosing to do it in the context of the joker as a character in a, in a wider canon mm -hmm. is an interesting thing because i'm sure that obviously they are a fan of the batman universe and, and those stories and they are interested in the joker as, a, as the supervillain character not just the the troubled individual character and they've obviously chosen to explore that as a kind of origin story although it's probably the least origin story origin story that we've had in the recent um, spate of expanded universe superhero films definitely but it's, yeah, so to choose to do that is always going to incite this extra level of, of controversy and critique that I wonder if that was what they wanted. It, I, I guess on some level it must have been, because otherwise they could have just made up a, a situation, mm -hmm. you know, invented or, or drawn with something else that's not so widely established in modern culture. I just, I just really liked how nothing about the film Joker had been referenced before in any other graphic novel form, comic book form. Mm. And but he brought the director brought such depth to it. Well, a yeah. part of the depth actually is the depth of the world that it, he portrays. Um, yeah, which actually is is a really good reason for for doing this story in the in DC universe in the the Batman universe because of the established kind of atmosphere of Gotham City as this oppressive, con massively concentrated society yeah. where all aspects of society city and city life are kind of heightened to their toxic extremes mm -hmm. and this idea and i suppose this is the kind of aside from the individual character study the other thing the film's trying to do is give this commentary on this uh, these kind of structures and and forces in society that we have that can that can impact an individual in such a way um, and won't be they're so there's they, they go so high up in terms of decisions made about um you know how how a, a people can be managed 
mm-hmm. uh, and what's best for people that it's it's hard to comprehend the impact on the individual from up there yeah um, but to tell the story from down here yeah it, you feel that oppressive force of everything kind of being above and being looming and 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 yeah, painting Gotham City as this New York City style kind of like soaring skyscrapers. The architecture is is the kind of physical manifestation of that societal oppression, mm-hmm. uh, which I think it does a really good job of because it's a lot of low ground city shots, dark apartments. There's not a lot of sky. There's not a lot of breathing room in, in the cinematography mm. or in the, the general atmosphere of the way the film's portrayed. Um, so I think it actually does that really well. And I think it's a, that's a really good reason to choose this kind of style of filmmaking for the Batman universe. Yeah. Oh, that was it. That was something else. Yeah, that ties into something you mentioned to me before, mm-hmm. before we started about invisibility and how he sees himself as invisible or you, or you get the feeling that he feels invisible. Yeah. And I think that's, it starts to feed back into, when you start talking about society you're in, of, a, of a world that isn't our own, you're inevitably commenting on the society of the world that is our own. And the idea that, an individual can become invisible it really kind of is is always going to be current because you've got issues of immigration and official and validity of, of an individual human being within a society yeah. and what makes you acknowledge what gets people to notice you and give you cred, credibility to exist and just be yourself and what mm-hmm. what how that ties into your rights within a society um, and I think again the, it, the cinematography and the way that the film uses the the setting right. um, kind of does a, does, it does a good commentary on that as much as the actual dialogue and the characters themselves. Yeah, I remember when I first watched it, because I watched it twice, the first time I watched it, and I was walking home. And, you know, as someone who is a white woman, I would say, a white queer woman, and I, as I was walking home, I thought, okay, it must be really hard to be a cis white man nowadays. I don't know, it's just one of those things where... I I felt like the invisibility could now be thrown over you as well. So that's interesting for you to say that now because that's the kind of thing that you hear um, as a joke statement almost by like someone that you'd imagine a cis white man saying, oh, it's really hard being a straight white man nowadays. Mm-hmm. And um, you see a lot of kind of memes about the queer community like, mocking that standpoint yeah um and it's interesting for you to say, for you to say that in earnest yeah um in, you know as a result of um, a feeling that you had in your day-to-day life so i'm interested to hear more about why you what made you think that and how you think that ties into things you've been thinking about because the character arthur he did obviously i i think the most standout scene relating to this was when he went to his social uh, the social worker and he was just saying you never listen to me and I thought to myself, like, okay, that that admittedly happens to quite a lot of women who go to doctors, for instance, and they could say, oh, I've got this, that, and the other. And if they if they're having a heart attack, it's very unlikely. Well, it's it's harder for the doctors to diagnose that than it were a man. So a lot of the time, I can imagine um, women are met with, you know, you're not listening to me. So for me to see a man then saying you are not listening to me mm. it really gave me that really that impression like i know that this is relevant to today's world i know that there are a lot of men who feel like they haven't been seen mm. and it makes everything a bit sadder because if all right women we're having a bit of a heyday now fine we're becoming more and more noticeable but i don't think 
and it shouldn't be that we're compromising like we're becoming more visible and you're becoming more invisible but it kind of it feels like we're all becoming equally as invisible so who was doing the watching if anything well, the way that joker portrayed that was really interesting actually and a bit controversial i hadn't me and Lindsay talked about it a bit after we walked out of the cinema, but we didn't really get to a conclusion. The, I'm doing air quotes, freaks that yes. he works with yeah. for his day job that he loses, um, the kind of misfits and weird looking people, mm-hmm. for all their various individual kind of quirks and unusual features, they're, they're all white men mm-hmm. who feel like they're being othered by society. Yeah. And all the figures of authority, or a large proportion of them, so his social worker, the two that I remember in my head, and there was more, I know there was because it stuck out to me, mm-hmm. um, the social worker and the man who worked at the asylum that he his mother was at and yeah. he was trying to find information about, yep, yep. were both black. One of them was a woman and one of them was a black man. Mm-hmm. And there were other figures that were um, non-white minority, well, in our, you know, in our society minority. And it seemed like the way that they were portraying Gotham, this uh, it, they were portraying Gotham as a post-racial society, it mm-hmm. seemed. But nevertheless, in that post-racial society, everyone that was represented in the film as, as others as strange, ostracized or kind of neglected, invisible people were all white men. Mm. And yeah, I don't, I'm not at a point in my head of critiquing the film to where I can say why I think that is or what the conscious decision was there or yeah. the subconscious decision. Um, but also with, to say. with those two characters specifically it was like they were they were obviously being demanded by the man air quotes mm. like if the the man in the archives is like I really can't give this to you yeah. and the woman in social services is like I really want to help you but I can't so it was, there was always just someone on top of them the man yeah. air yeah. quotes who was just, yeah but you're never going to see which is yeah again I, 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 maybe I'll have, after this discussion I'm, I'm going to go and try and find interviews with the director because I hadn't thought about looking for them before but yeah. to see if there's any answers to these questions because it's an interesting yeah you, you can argue about it forever but it's what makes a film interesting is that someone's always decided to make it yeah um, it's not just something that happens in the world and then people can discuss it it's someone's had the conscious decision to make this thing mm-hmm. to get across a point that they've chosen to try and communicate and nevertheless and it's the same with art, I guess, and music a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. The nature of art is that that original, clear, hey, why did you do this? Here, here's the answer. That doesn't yeah. happen normally in those in, in giving art to people to listen to or to watch or to experience. Mm-hmm. It's always about figuring out for yourself. And that allows you to take things from it that they would never intend. But it also often means that you don't take the things that they intended, which is an interesting yeah. thing to do, to choose to do that in such a deliberately obfuscating manner in terms of getting your point across to the world, especially when it's something that can be seen as so controversial. So it's, it's interesting to think about. Look, here's, here's a world that's not right in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And look how similar it is to aspects of the world you live in. What do you think about that? I'm not going to tell you what I think, but what do you think? It's kind of, and you, and I, I feel like that often when I watch these films and I'm worrying about whether I'm getting the right thing from it. And sometimes I feel like that's probably why I'm a interested in writing and curating rather than making art yeah but it's yeah sometimes I feel like I should just immerse myself more and forget about critiquing it I don't know if you get that experience when you're watching a film oh I definitely do go into it or not definitely definitely I mean I love watching films that are beautifully made with amazing cinematography and cut scenes where the character then transforms into something else I love those transformative Mm. scenes there is one in Joker when um 
uh, when when he after, right after he shoots someone in the subway and he's running through the streets and then he makes it to a public restroom and he's doing like he sees himself for the first time it was it was a bit like a mirror stage Lacan would be proud you know he's seen himself and he does this little kind of dance where he opens up his body language and you're like okay the madness begins yeah I yeah. really love it yeah and you you kind of feel uh, there's like a rousing sensation from watching it you're like I, I, you haven't had time yet to process what what this means yeah. for him and for the people around him. Yeah, but you you've had you're able to rise up with him a bit, mm. um, and that's what I meant about betraying your empathy. You still have that empathy. You haven't stepped back yet, which is why it's I think one of the most kind of like pivotal moments in the film yeah. for you as the viewer as well as him as the character. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the other film that you mentioned, yeah, the cell, which is. Nowhere near as subtle as the Joker. So for everyone who doesn't quite know about the cell, it's about a serial killer who kills mostly women, if not only women. Only women. Only yeah. women. Um, and with, he's basically gone into a coma, I think, after a police raid. Um, I think he was taking some tablets and then he went into a coma. And so Jennifer Lopez comes in as the therapist and they basically transplant her subconscious, her consciousness actually, into his brain to kind of figure out where the last mm-hmm. um, girl is and if she can save her in time because he has this thing where he drowns women in a cube or something or other. I haven't watched it in a while. It's quite Inception-esque in that way that it's like her kind of going into his consciousness or subconsciousness, yeah, um, engaging with him as a child in order to find yeah. the truth of what he can reveal to them about where this woman is so they can save her before she drowns because they know that he drowns people over a period of time. Yes. Um, What struck me most about comparing The Cell to Joker... So first of all, The Cell is very cinematographically surreal and stylized and very very kind of beautifully filmed in lots of really experimental camera work. Mm -hmm. And actually it's funny because it's quite music video-esque and we were just watching the music video for... Losing My Religion by R.E.M. and yeah. you discovered it's the same guy that directed it and it yeah. reminded you of it and you looked it up and it was the same person. Yeah. So it's, he's obviously done well to get his uh, style. style imprinted in, in your in your consciousness. Yeah. Um, but what struck me about what it tries to deal with in relation to mental health and mental illness in relation to the Joker is that it invest it kind of portrays the mind as a place rather than as a person, oh, yeah. okay. because obviously in Joker, you're in the world of Gotham City. You don't ever leave that world. Mm-hmm. And Arthur is very much in that world and impacted on by that world. Mm-hmm. And that's the relationship. That's the, It's Arthur's relationship with the world out, outside him. But in the cell, it seems like, and they because of the, the way they've created this kind of sci-fi fantasy concept of technology, which can wire one person's consciousness into another one's, mm-hmm you're allowed to bring these characters inside worlds which are the other characters. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at... It, they represent the minds differently based on their mental state. And so there's a kid that she's going into the mind of at the beginning to kind of introduce this concept. Yeah. And he's in a coma, but his, it's, a, it's a tranquil, peaceful place. It's an innocent place. Um, things are represented quite starkly in terms of a metaphor for escape from this place is introduced as a boat and it's like an innocent child's toy boat Mm -hmm. 
and there's a horse that's just a beautiful horse and then the rest is just a desert and that's it yeah and it's it's a it, so you're focusing on the on um him as a child and his kind of simplistic innocence i guess and mm-hmm. her coming into that world trying to coax things out of him but when she goes into the world of the serial killer i forget his name already because it was a weird little name it's chaotic and dark and twisted and when i say twisted i mean physically twisted the camera is always spinning and moving it's hard to tell what's up and down everything is constantly kind of on the go and it's hard for her to navigate and stay upright and and kind of get any bearing yeah Um, and and it's very violent and visceral and aggressive and it so you're not having to think about this mental illness as it sits within the context of anything else Mm -hmm. because it is the context Mm -hmm. which i think is a really interesting way of portraying the stability or instability of the human mind as a place rather than as part of a, a part of someone within a place because it really allows you to visually represent it rather than critically discuss it i guess um, which is something that I actually quite, although the film itself, the the plot and the and the dialogue and the the way that the the writing is done with the characters' interactions with each other um, when they do happen is quite basic and, and not super deep. Yeah. The way that the the world of these people's minds is portrayed is actually really immersive and quite, I think, successful in that way. Yeah, definitely. I remember when I first watched it because it came out in ninety nine, and I did watch it shortly after that. It was just terrifying. It was terrifying, especially when like she's cornered by this very large, muscular woman and then brought into like his castle, I would say. So his subconscious is uh, depicted as this titan almost with horns and he's huge and he has a deep voice and he's very overpowering every sense of the word. Whereas in reality, he isn't really. But that, that scene where Jennifer Lopez is finally placed on the floor in front of this demon person in his subconscious and he moves down towards her and you see like the whole wall, the curtains come off because they're all attached to the rings attached to his skin on his back. And he just looks at her and he was like, who are you? And it was just terrifying. Mm. But it was one of those things that terrified me so much I had to go back and look at it because... I just I couldn't believe that somebody would see themselves that way. Yeah, I mean, so the thing is, again, the difference between the two films, you're introduced to Arthur before he becomes this yes. this deranged, uh, soon-to-be killer, and he, end, ends up, he mm-hmm. does kill people. And you're along for the ride with him as a human being, and, and you see how things get him to that point. Whereas in the cell, he's already there. Yeah. Um, and the closest you get to seeing him as a kind of undeveloped character towards a developed character is is the way she communicates with him in his subconscious is to find a child version of himself, which is the only version of himself which he sees in his own mind as as innocent and and kind of untouched by the things that he kind of, he seems to have know has corrupted him and destroyed him, but he embraces those aspects of himself. Mm -hmm. Um, But the child part of him remains there and that's how she's able to access him. But... I don't think you ever get the same level of empathy with him as a character as you do with Arthur. Yeah. So it's harder to understand. It's it's yeah. right through to the end of the film you don't understand or, or empathise or, or sympathise or kind of comprehend how or why he's done these things. In the cell. Um, sorry? In the cell. In the cell, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's yeah. kind of... And in that, yeah. So it comes back to the same question of what what's the intention? What, what am I to think about 
what this film's trying to say. And I think that's possible where the cell falls down a little bit. Mm. Um, its its motives aren't as as clear, um, or or at least there aren't as clear a set of possible motives for the film. Yeah, uh, that you that, that you can then kind of take from what you want. It very much revels in its in in, in the experience of it and, and the visual aspect yeah. of it and, and the way that that transports you, which I think is a fine reason to make a film. Yeah, um, where I saw the similarity was. Um, there's a scene in the cell where uh, Jennifer Lopez has discovered the child and the child takes her to another room. And then we see that the, the whole scene opens up and we see, I don't know, we see the protagonist uh, hunched over a bathtub and it's his first kill. Somewhere in his mind, he's reliving that first kill and he's in the bathtub and he's cleaning it. She walks up to him and she says, you know, why are you doing this? Or something along those lines. And then we get a flashback of him as a young boy uh, being baptised in the river. And all he said about that was, I think I was drowning and everybody just looked at me. So I think from there, that's where I got this sense of invisibility again, that I kind of related to what happened in Joker. Yeah, I think yeah. I think that's. I mean, we're talking about this in the in the wider discussion of of how mental illness is mental illness in, in in cis white men is portrayed in film in contemporary film, and I think that thing of invisibility is such a key aspect yeah. of that wide discussion mm-hmm. because it's the idea that the world doesn't take you seriously, the world doesn't want to hear what you have to say. Yeah. Is it's that's what's thought to can lead to like going to drastic measures to make yourself heard mm-hmm. or make yourself be acknowledged or yeah. be kind of feared in, you know the, in the extremes of that um, and that's what leads to violence and things and the question of whether these films are, are just crit- critiquing that or you know, promoting that and I don't th- I think there's probably hardly any any films ever made that are, you could really argue that they are actively promoting violence of that kind or, or many kinds mm. um, but I think what they're probably trying to do, and I think because this is what I would do if I was making art or if I was making something like that, right. is I'm doing it to try and understand the subject. Yeah. Um, and I think by doing that, by having the experience of making something and then having people watch it and see what people think and how they respond, it's that's the process of the, of the creators understanding what they're doing as well as us trying to understand. And I think it's the interesting thing about critique is if it's kind of once you start saying whether something's good or bad or not, you've missed the point because you've already, you could be talking about what it's made you talk about. Yeah. And, you know, we're sat having a discussion. There's many, many people that have been having discussions about Joker since yes, it's been made. definitely. And a lot of them have led down the route of criticism, um, negative criticism. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's just part of this, like, slow, in some cases, and quite rapid in other cases, um, movement towards open discussion about these kinds of things and actually in 1999 2000 discussion open discussion about mental health was very very few and far between in, in the kinds of ways that it's discussed nowadays rather taboo yeah um and they deal with a, a pretty on the nose concept of of manic schizophrenia mm. of some kind is that um, i don't know the the strictness of the science of what it is that they the illnesses that they talk about a virus that leads to the schizophrenia and that happens at birth and is triggered by experiencing something in water which is why it is baptism that's when he has a seizure and yeah. loses you know his the grip on the world 
But that's interesting that they felt that it had to be caused by something traumatic and physical in order for this um, air quote split to happen mm. in the mind. Yeah. Well, and something out of our control, out of society's control, a virus, right? It's like yeah. something that's, oh, someone just gets a virus. Oh, it just happened. And that's, yeah. and then, and, it, and it's dormant until you're born and then you experience something and then it happens and then you're schizophrenic. It doesn't, yes, it doesn't, in the same way that Joker really kind of acknowledges this, the, the virus of society. Yeah. Um, and how it can be inflicted upon someone. The cell kind of, it uses it as a, a starting point to have a quite aesthetic and stylized exploration into into something. And I think it's a really interesting way of doing it, but it doesn't really take responsibility for the real world yeah. um, context that these kinds of mental illnesses are experienced in. So it's kind of hard to say whether it's useful in terms of exploring mental illness or whether it's just useful as a way of ex- of choosing to explore the human mind mm. in any kind of state. But also um, it's interesting to note that both protagonists in Joker and The Cell, they owed their their ailments, their madness, air quotes, to, to older men who inflicted pain on them. So mm. Joker, like he used to hand out, he would hand out his card saying, um, if I laugh, it's just because I suffered a brain injury and that's how I process. And in the cell, you know, this virus that was brought on by drowning from white older men also came from something. But that something is often an older man inflicting this pain on someone younger. It's the implication of, all, I suppose it's the, in, what, in as many situations as white men are given platforms within representation, in terms of representation or in terms of um, how they're portrayed in films and in, in, in art and other kinds of media, they are also implicated in a lot of the way things are portrayed negatively. And 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 it it's the idea, like the, the, the classic, the Bechdel test thing yeah. um, of a film, whether it can, um, if a film can't, doesn't have one scene where two women discuss something that isn't about a man, then it mm-hmm. fails the test. Mm-hmm. It's, you can talk all day about whether a film is criticising or glorifying the, the actions of white cis men in mm-hmm. society, in Western society, but actually, is it possibly that the, as long as they're represented um, in the majority as they are, mm-hmm. um, or so predominantly as they are, uh, then there's less chance for the other voices to be heard, whether they're positive or negative representations. As long as the discussion revolves around them, other voices and, and other identities and other aspects, parts of society, people or, or other discussions will only be discussed in the context of, of the white male ego in the, in the most simplified sense. Yeah. Um, and a lot of films nowadays, there are, it's more and more written and directed by uh, female or non, you know, non-binary yeah. male um, writers and directors, and obviously less in Hollywood, but certainly more in general, mm-hmm. um, and portraying characters that are, that are dealing with issues that aren't related to or dominated by um, a white male presence so mm-hmm. it's interesting that well how long it will take for that to become a, a balanced playing field in all aspects of it or whether it, it's always going to be things one thing discussed in the context of another thing i guess it always is but it's hard to yeah. say and it's interesting for me to think about as 
as a white man, as a, a cis white man, um, what my kind of critical responsibility is in that in these discussions and how much I have to critique in the context of myself, mm-hmm. what kind of critical standpoint I should be looking at everything from and how helpful that is to me and how helpful that is to the people I talk to, like yourself, for instance. Yeah. Should I be constantly trying to put myself in the shoes of other... Yeah, well, well you know, people, know. Um, yeah. people's situations other than myself. Yeah. Um, or should I be very aware that I'm in my own shoes mm-hmm. and stand in those shoes at all times in order to self-critique yeah. um, on behalf of my subset of society um and I, just the language i'm using is already so kind of divisive and, and other othering i don't know it's hard to it's hard to talk about this yeah. with that in an inclusive way because you, you that's where the conversation starts from mm-hmm. um but it's like yeah so it's, it's something that it's kind of interesting to wrestle with and i don't know whether that's useful or not I don't know what you think i feel like i understand your standpoint i also really when i whenever i'm talking to anyone i like to think about how they would feel about what I'm saying. I need to be more considerate. I need to put myself in their shoes. And it can get overwhelming, but I feel like we kind of have to right now so we can create a kind of vocabulary mm. that become that is more natural to us. Is there anything that you want to say at the end of this? I don't know. Okay, then. I think I, think I certainly, until you brought the discussion up, when we first broached the idea of doing this, mm-hmm. so... Other than Joker, which is so heavily about, look, it's about mental illness. This is clearly what it's about. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. There's other films that I've mental illness has been an interesting vehicle for the plot or mm-hmm. for for an idea to be presented. But I've I've not thought as much about mental illness as the main focus point of the film or of the discussion around the film. Whether that's the intention of the film or not, whether that can discussion can be created is, is an important thing to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think real world discussions around mental illness are expanding and becoming more and more acknowledged and, and embraced by a lot of aspects of, of media. But in terms of within art that isn't overtly saying, here I am, I'm talking about mental illness, it's mm-hmm. good to be able to start thinking about how you can see it in things, how you, how you can recognise for for me, someone who doesn't suffer from mental illness, to to try and train myself to recognise aspects of mental illness within portrayals of society or within portrayals of people that I can draw from and I can learn from is something that I think I, I can keep my eye out for a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe these films that we discussed today will help with that, and this discussion will definitely help with that. So hopefully that's what I'll take away. I'm glad another layer to our film watching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, to be honest, I just need to watch more films. Yeah, I've been really lazy with my film watching, so I need to keep giving. Having people say, "Hey, we're going to talk about these films," it's a really good motivator for watching films. <laughs> uh, so I'll just send you a list. Commit to podcasts, guys, and say you're going to talk about something that'll make you watch the thing. I guarantee it, and it makes it worth it. Yeah, good. So I'm glad. Yeah. All right, it's been really fun. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being mm. with me, you're having a nice welcome. conversation. I'm sure we'll do it again at some point in the future. I would love to, and I can't wait to listen to the other episodes that you're doing. Thank you. It's going to be exciting. Yes. Wicked. Thank you. Goodbye.